The scripture today comes from Paul's letter to the early church in Galatia, uh, chapter 5. Let's share in God's good word together. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. everybody, my name is Kellen, and today we're going to be talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, before Jesus died and came back to life, he told his disciples that God would be sending them a helper who would be with them. That helper is the Holy Spirit. When you follow Jesus and put your trust in him, you have that helper living inside of you too. And with the Holy Spirit in your life, you will bear fruit. Can you tell us Bible School Week? <laughs> the kids love Kellen. We use orange curriculum. It's just a great deal. It's also online uh, for folks worshiping at home. And so we just want to say welcome. It's going to be a great week. It's off to a great start. And so here's some questions for you as we get going. If you could change one thing in the world, what would it be? If you could change one thing in the world, what would it be? You have it? Now, how would you start changing that thing? What what would you do? How would you start? And if you knew that you couldn't fail and you could change this one thing and you're about to begin, which fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, which one of those do you think you would need God to grow bigger in you? stronger in you to make this change what's one thing you want to change how are you going to start and which fruit needs to come up in your life these are the actual questions we're going to ask our children at bible school this week not the four-year-olds but the older children will ask these questions it's a it's a big deal it's a big week And so on the last night of Bible school, we're going to be talking about the ripple effect. Will you say that with me? The ripple effect. Each and every one of us, uh, like a little stone in a pond, we have a ripple effect. Our life um, affects all the things around us. When we do good things, oftentimes that spills over. When we do other things, those things spill over as well. And it's important that we have a realization of that. And so um, each year when we come to this Sunday and sometimes a few Sundays before... We think it's really important that you know that the community as a whole, not just parents, not just grandparents, but everybody in our community, that you know what we're teaching the children this week. We spend a lot of time, energy, resources getting ready for this Easter and Christmas. These are kind of our big three weeks of the year around here. Uh, Back to school is coming up as well, of course. Um, But we want you to know what we're teaching the kids. And the reason we want you to know is so that you can talk to them, so that you can actually be family of faith with them. We can be one of the only places left in our culture where... Older adults and middle-aged adults and young adults and youth and children can all talk together, get to know one another, and actually share wisdom with one another. And so we want to sh- I want to share with you real quickly today um, what we're going to share with the, the children over the next um, three nights, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night. The first thing we're going to talk about, we're going to start at the beginning. It's a very good place to start, I'm told. 
And that is in Genesis 1, the very first chapter of the Bible, God created the world, including people, including you and I, and God called us what? Very good. Now, when God created animals, when God created the heavens and the earth, moon, sun, stars, he said it was good. But when he came to us, he said it was very good. Our our scripture says this, then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. Now, that really freaks a lot of people out, like, what, what does that mean, let us? Well, some people think it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Other people think it's God and all the heavenly host and the angels. But in any case, it's not like the other animals, right? So God says, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them, you and I, have dominion, right? Power over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Makes us different. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, say with me, Male and female, he created them. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was what? Very good. So all of us created, it's about relationship, right? Uh, That's what this is about. It's not like the relationship God has with animals. It's not like the relationship God has with plants. God has a unique relationship with the men and the women of the world to where we're to be in relationship with God forever, unlike um, the other pieces of the world. So that's night one. Night two... um, we realize that people have really, they didn't get it, right? By the time Jesus is coming into the world, we have Roman gods and Greek gods. And what people know is that when a flood happens or when an earthquake happens or a volcano happens, an earthquake, I mean, you name it, something bad happens, what do we, we call it an act of what? An act of God. Poor God. It's all the bad stuff, right? So here's the thing. People thought, that when a tidal wave came, that was because of Neptune. Neptune was mad at everybody. When people went to war, they thought that was because Ares was mad at everybody. When, when people were off page in other ways, they always blamed it on some god because the gods were mad at humans. That's what everybody thought until Jesus. And when Jesus comes into the world, everything changes. And you may know, I hope you know this, that God sent Jesus so that we could have a relationship with Jesus, with God, with the Holy Spirit forever. It's about relationship. That is the point of Jesus, about the relationship. That's why we keep the cross front and center here each and every time we meet. Because Jesus, our relationship to Jesus, his suffering and death and resurrection is our relationship. It changes everything. So in John three sixteen, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish. That's not what God wants. He doesn't want you to perish. But may have what? Eternal life. And then, in case we missed it on first reference, it doubles down in John 3. Now, this is 17. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. No, that's not why he came, unlike the other gods. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, you might know that this word world in Greek is cosmos. It is the most inclusive word that you could possibly choose, right? It is the universe. God so loved everything, every person on the planet, every piece of the planet. That he would come to earth in the person of Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when Jesus is going to ascend, he tells the disciples, don't worry. The Holy Spirit is going to teach you everything that I've taught you and remind you of these things. And so what we teach the children then uh, on the last night is that as we follow Jesus, Jesus comes, lives inside of us with the Holy Spirit. We can follow Jesus' example and make waves to make a difference in the world around us. We're not saved for nothing. We're saved for something. We're saved to do the will of God in the earth in the same way that Jesus, his will was to do the Father who sent him. 
Uh, Jesus says this over and over and over again in the New Testament. So in John 14, um, it says this, when we put our trust in Jesus as our Savior, right, the, the only one who can save us, God gives us the Holy Spirit as our helper. So this Spirit, a lot of people um, don't really understand the role of the Spirit. Um, maybe it's because we called it the Holy Ghost for so long. People are like, I don't want to be in a, know a Holy Ghost, right? But the Spirit is really important for a church named Acts 2 because the church is born out of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit resting on people from every tribe and nation all around the world uh, at that time. And then 3,000 are baptized and the church is born in the book of Acts chapter 2. That's where we take our name. So Jesus says this about the Spirit. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments because that's what Jesus did, the commandments of the Father. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Now, when we come to this word advocate, I think it's helpful to kind of get your mind around what, what is this? What is the role of the Holy Spirit really? And so it's helpful to me to think of a courtroom. God the Father is the judge. You have uh, the devil or powers of darkness or the Hasatan, if you're looking at the book of Job, uh, the accuser, right? So the devil doesn't have power over you, but the devil can lie and the devil can accuse you of all sorts of things. Some true, some not true, right? And, and so the devil always brings up the things that you wish no one knew about you. That's the devil's role. That's what the devil does. Um, and so, but this is the good news. Over here, what's on the other side? Not the prosecuting attorney, but the what? The defense attorney, the counselor, that's good news for you. The advocate, it's an advocate for you. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And so a good defense attorney wants to know everything about you. Not so that they can judge you and be mean to you, so they can defend you, so they can help you. Maybe even save you from jail time or death. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has no other reason to exist other than to bless you, to lift you up, to care for you. To bring up the truth of the situation when there are people who lie about you. Because the truth sets you free. And the other thing about the Holy Spirit that's really important for you to know is that it can do nothing other than what Jesus has already taught. Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're one. One essence, one substance. And so if someone ever tells you the Holy Spirit told me to do this and it, you can't find it in the Bible, it doesn't look like what Jesus did, it doesn't match his life or his teaching, then that's not true. It's just not true. Because that has to be one. And Jesus goes on, he says, you know him, the spirit, because he abides with you, right? lives in you. He will be in you. I have said these things to you while I'm still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the counselor, whom the father will send in my name, will, what's the role of the Holy Spirit? Teach you everything and remind you of all that Jesus has already said to you. And so that's how you know. That what we do follows the teaching of Jesus as we are led by the Spirit. So what does God's Spirit do? God's Spirit will help us love others the way Jesus loves us. That's what we're going to teach the kids. God's Spirit will help us love others the way Jesus loves us. And by doing that, God can help you change the world around you. That's what the kids learn in Bible school. And then we're going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. There's, lots of, there's about nine of them, actually. And we're going to use this graphic, and we're going to teach the kids. If you'll say them with me, it goes up to down. Uh, down however you say that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, this goodness piece is interesting. Um, the NRSV translates it generosity. It, it's both of those things. It's goodness, generosity. Um, just depends on which translation you read, how that comes out. 
And so uh, when we talk about, these are big concepts, aren't they? I mean, particularly for little ones. So when we talk to them, we're going we're gonna to do things like this. We're going to say, uh, what does this represent? What do you think that is? Love, right. I mean, that's an easy one. That's what love looks like. Um, and then what's the next one? Joy, right? Dancing. Did you know that God's in favor of a good time? He is. He wants you to have a good life, a joyful life. Uh, dance with your friends, your sister, uh, maybe not on the bed, depending on your parents, but, you know, joy, good time. And then, of course, there's peace. And peace can look like a lot of things. It can look like Bishop Tutu that spent his life working for those who had no peace, for those who were abused and marginalized and set aside because of nothing other than the color of their skin or where they lived. Peace can look like a lot of things in your home and around the world. And, of course, then there's patience. Right? I, I love this image of brother and sister. and You notice he's not doing it for her. He's just sitting there. And isn't that what you need when you can't seem to put the pieces of your life back together? Don't you want just somebody to be there with you? To listen and maybe help you find a corner piece? Just a place to start? They're not living your life for you. They're just there with you. Just the ministry of presence. Patience. It's underrated. And of course, there's kindness. Right? When your friend's having a hard day or uh, they're a little shy and you grab their hands and you smile and say, it's going to be okay. We're going to do this together. The power of community. Kindness. It's important. And of course, then finally, uh, at the end, it starts with love and it ends with what? Self-control. <laughs> well, that's a tough one, isn't it? And this is so cute, but you know as well as I do, we wish that our self-control issues were as easy as the cookies, don't we? Well, that'd be a good life if that was the hardest self-control piece we had. The things we worry about, the things we stress about. So that's what we want the kids to know. But what about you? Most of you are not children. There's, there's more to these stories. And so what I want the adults to know, right... The people in this room, I want you to know the additional context of what Paul's doing. And actually, over the next number of weeks, we're going to do a deep dive into the letter to the Galatians. And we'll have a whole sermon series on that in the coming weeks. I want you to know the content about what Paul's doing and why it's so important. And, and what, what I wanted to say uh, on the banner, but Chantel wouldn't let me, is I wanted to call it, Chantel's my wife, I wanted to call it a scandalous proposition. She's like, no, you can't do that. Okay. <laughs> But Paul is doing something that blew people's minds. And, and quite frankly, people don't know what to do with it even today. Paul was a Pharisee. He knew everything about the law, top to bottom. He was a part of the Sanhedrin, one of 72 of the most brilliant, well-read, scholarly, respected Pharisees in all of Judaism, part of the Sanhedrin. And he was the one at the stoning of Stephen. He knew the law so well, he knew how to use it to kill people and to get by with it legally because he was the one making the laws, or at least how to interpret them. And that's what Pharisees did. That's what Pharisees did. And so Jesus actually blinds him on the road to Damascus. You can see this in about Acts chapter 9. And this is after the church has started in Acts chapter 2. And Paul has this relationship now. He has this encounter with the living God. He's blinded. He then is restored to sight by a Christian 
so that he would know the power of Jesus. And, and Paul says, well, what, who is this person that's blinded me? What is this light? And, and Jesus says, it's me, Paul. You're, you're persecuting me. And it changes everything. He changes his life. And Paul becomes what I think is the greatest church planter of all time all over the world in places like Galatia, Thessalonica, Ephesus, Colossae, Rome. The known world as we know it. He would go in all these places. And you know what he would say? I was wrong. I was wrong. I was one of the smartest guys around, and I, was, I just missed it. I, I don't know how I missed it, but I missed it. Jesus is the Savior. He's the Son of God, and I, everybody has to know this. It's the most important thing you could possibly ever know because God's not mad at you. He loves you and gave himself on the cross. You've got to know this, Paul says. And then he says something else that troubles us still today. He says, and all these rules that religious people make to keep some in and push others out, it only leads to death. The law leads to death, he says. And he says, I should know. Because I was the best at it. And I know what it did to me, and I know what it can do to you. Because you make enough laws long enough, you move up in the organization long enough, then you get to choose. And you know what's interesting about this? The people who make the laws are always safe. It's the ones outside the law that go to jail or are killed. It's just weird how that works. And so Paul says this. He comes to Galatia, and this is his proposition. He says, friends, the church is to be guided by the Spirit alone. Not by me, not by Apollos. He talks about that to the folks in Corinth. He says the church is to be guided by the Spirit. The Spirit. This is what you find in Galatians 5. He says because the law will only lead you to death. So, so look. Uh, Richard Hayes of Duke Divinity School, he says this, Galatians 5 is the most impassioned defense anywhere in Scripture of the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit to guide the community of faith. Do you believe that? Do you believe a group of people can gather under the Spirit's guidance and not fall apart? I don't know your answer. There are Christians who do and there are Christians who don't. But I am here to say, as a testament, that what you're experiencing right now is this very experiment. That 20 some odd years ago in 1999, we decided we would start a church where the Spirit was in charge. Mark's not in charge. Do you see my name anywhere on these buildings, on the front, on the banners? No, you don't. Why? Because I'm not in charge. Never have been, never will be. The Holy Spirit's in charge, and what the Holy Spirit says goes, period, dot. And we're going to live into that as best we can. And sometimes that's easy and wonderful and fun. And other times it's like, whoo, 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 holy smoke. You know, where, where are you taking us, Holy Spirit? But we always, always check it against Scripture and the life and teachings of Jesus. So, so catch this. I mean, this really is what Paul's doing. Paul is calling for a faith community of flexibility and freedom guided by the Holy Spirit rather than the law. Do you all know the Acts 2 Beatitude? Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. That's us. And those have been with me a long time. You know, that we needed that when we were between Dollar General and Renaissance Center. Amen? You had to be flexible. We had Bible school in the strip mall and behind. And, and God did some beautiful things. There was a homeless man that lived in the cedar tree behind us. Kids learned how to do ministry to the homeless that year. God does amazing things by the Spirit. Not all the parents appreciated that, by the way. <laughs> That's where the Spirit led us that year. So when Jesus' Spirit is in control... It looks like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, underrated these days. 
faithfulness, and self-control. Real self-control. So, so Paul says, and you're like, okay, well, hold on. So how is this different than what you're teaching the kids? Well, Paul actually says, before the part we read, by contrast. Well, what's Paul contrasting? He says, by contrast, we have these things that are of the Spirit. And, by the way, he, he kind of jabs the other Pharisees. There's no law against such things. You see that? He's like, you know all these laws you're trying to make people follow? Uh-uh. Not anymore. The Spirit's in charge, not you. They didn't like that. They beat him up and threw him out of town most of the time. So what does Paul do? Well, Paul lists 15 common problems of his time. This was done all over the Roman world at that time. And more than half of these are about division, which is interesting to me. So right before you get to the fruits of the Spirit, he talks about the fruits of the flesh. Now, the fruits of the flesh are simply what we do in our own power and abilities without God in the mix, right? So by our strength, by our talents, by our brute force or our power in the world. And so Paul says this. He says, now the works of the flesh of your own strength are obvious. Fornication, that meant sex before marriage. It's also true that girls often married at 12, 13, 14 to much older men. So there's, there's, a, there's a big conversation about what to do with that now when you have people getting married in their 30s. How does that work? We're not talking about that today. But, I mean, this is, this is hard for people, right? I mean, it's not, our girls don't get married at 12. They just don't. Impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, really bad at that time for all those other gods. Sorcery, which we would often think of as witchcraft today. Now we come to all these things of division, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. What if the church actually took this anger piece seriously? As seriously as we took all the others. That there would no longer be an angry Christian anywhere in the world. That'd be different, wouldn't it? Because it's in the list. There's no parenthetical around it. I'm warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because the Spirit's not in charge there. You're in charge there. Your ego's in charge there, and you can't save yourself. That's why Jesus came, because you can't save yourself. Right? We have to have him save us. So again, uh, Richard Hayes, New Testament professor from Duke, he says this, we should not interpret this fruit as referring only to character qualities of the individual. That's how we read it. He says that's not right. Paul is primarily concerned with the way in which the Spirit's work is made manifest in community. So when Paul gives you these lists, he's not giving them to you. He's giving them to you, to us, to y'all, to all y'all in Oklahoma, right? So what would it be like if the church itself, not just an individual in the church, but the church itself had no anger in it, no dissensions, no factions, no quarreling, only things that come from the Spirit. So Paul lists these virtues. It begins with love, right? Produced by the Spirit, and it ends with what? Self-control. I don't know who wrote this, but I really like it. They say Christianity is about helping others and controlling yourself. When it becomes about controlling others and helping yourself, it ain't Christianity. That's the problem of religion, right? Because if you get up high enough, you work at it long enough, you get to... You get to get helped, and you control others so you can get the help you want. Mm -mm. That's not the life of the Spirit, right? Because that's where you're in charge. No, that's not on the table. So in, in Paul's day, there was this common practice that you would catalog and list these vices and virtues that were common in the Greco-Roman world. And so he did this over and over again, not just in Galatia. So just as a way to show this to you, when he's talking to Rome, he does the same things. 
in, in Romans 1. It says, They were filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness, gossips. Uh, we need to work on that one. Slanders, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, rebellious toward parents. Uh-oh, youth group. Right? These are real things. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Well, if ruthlessness isn't a value lifted up in our culture, I don't know what is. It's the exact opposite of our faith, by the way. We're not to be ruthless. We're to be gentle. Try that at your next meeting, right? See how your bosses roll with that. And we are to live differently, friends. We are. And here's the thing about fruit. Can you yourself make an apple appear out of your hand? Some of the magicians can, but for all the rest of us, no, you cannot. Why? Because fruit, people don't make fruit. Trees make fruit, right? God makes fruit. Fruit cannot be humanly manufactured. It can only grow organically as God gives the growth, right? Paul talks a lot about this in Corinthians, right? God is the one who gives the growth. We can't do that. And so what we have to remember is that all of these fruit, all this fruit, you can't make it happen. It comes by indirection. It's a byproduct of you abiding with Jesus, So Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my Father, God the Father, is the vine grower. God's the one really in charge, but Jesus says, but I'm the vine. And here's the thing about our faith. You can't give what you don't have, right? You just just can't. So we are to minister out of our overflow, not out of our indebtedness. So Jesus says this. He says, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them, what happens? They bear much fruit. Fruit happens when you abide in Jesus. Because apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Even your breath is a gift of God, of Jesus. So the fruit of the Spirit, all of them, they come from being connected to Jesus. And Jesus says he's the what? The vine. Now, for those of you who know wine, this will be boring to you. But for those of you who don't, you might learn something. So you see the vine, you see these brown things, what are those? Those are the branches, that's you. And then there's fruit. You might say we're the grapes because we're the fruit of somebody else's faithfulness, somebody else's branch. But then if we actually mature in Christ, we're no longer a grape, we become a branch. Right? So we're all grapes, we all start as grapes. Then if we mature in Christ, we'll become branches. But never forget that Jesus is the vine. And this is how it works. Do you ever get grapes without the branches? No doesn't happen right and so it looks it looks like this right this is fruit this is the vine right the big thick part all the little branches that's us all over the world and here's the interesting thing jesus says if you're not connected and everybody would have understood this israel was known for their winemaking so in 2019 our friends the augustas uh, took us to the wine country to kind of teach us and learn us about these things and what we found out uh, from one of the vintners here this is i believe at garjulo um, vineyards, he said, which was really interesting to me, he said, you know, you get the best wine under the most stressful conditions because the flavor of the wine comes from the tannins and the, uh, and the covering the skin of the grape. He said, so what you don't want is a big old rainy season where you get big old fat juicy grapes that are full of water. It has no taste. Isn't it interesting that in some of the most difficult times, one of the hardest times of the vineyard is when you get the best wine and i just wonder if that's not true in your life too some of the hardest times in your life if you stay connected to the vine man there's some beautiful things that can come from it even though you may not have wanted to go through the drought 
and the heat and the hardness. So it's all about our connection to Jesus, friends. It's about abiding. And abiding changes everything, including what we ask for, which is why Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Which does not mean, hey, Jesus, give me a PS5. No, that's not what it works. That's not how it is. I'm sorry, but it's not how it works. So here's the thing. If you're connected to Jesus and he lives in you, what do you want? What he wants. What did Jesus want? What the Father wants. That's how it works. And of course it's going to be done because that's God's will. My Father's glorified by this that you bear much fruit. Bring the kingdom to earth and become my disciples. As the fathers loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love because that's where fruit happens. Because when you really, really, really love someone, you love what they love. Amen? Isn't that true? Some of you all love lacrosse now, never loved lacrosse before. Some of you love soccer, never loved soccer before. Some of you even love Barney, purple dinosaur. You hated him before. But your grandkid loves him, so you love him. Gross. But you know how it works. It's true in my life. Um, in 2007, 2008, I lost one of my very best friends, uh, Spencer. He was our, I got him as a puppy, and he lived about 14 years. And he died. And I was real super mature about it. Like, I'm never getting a dog again, ever. My heart's been broken. There will never be a dog like Spencer again, which is true. But Chantel got us a rebound puppy. This is Peanut when he was first born in 08. I think we lost Spencer, I think, in December of 07. And so when we went to the, the place to get him, he just, he just went straight to her, got up in her, in her little hand, and that was it. They were just in love. I was a sideline. And, um, and then, so here's the thing. I mean, these two, they've been inseparable all these years. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, she infected my son Noah, my youngest, with him as well. And they're super close. And then, you know, he just became part of the family. And he even has, like, bow ties. And his haircuts cost more than mine. I mean, it's ridiculous what this, about this dog. But you, you know what? And my son, Jean-Marc, uh, loves him. And so during the pandemic, we did these porch picks. Who's holding a stupid dog? <laughs> Me. Why? Because I love them. And I love what they love. And if you love Jesus, you'll love who he loves. And who does Jesus love? Yeah, that's hard, isn't it? Every, peanut, yeah, he loves Peanut too. Uh, and everyone, Right? And so often we get this weird romanticized notion about love. And this is the thing. Love in the Bible means unconquerable benevolence. We will not use those phrases with the four-year-olds. But here's the thing. That's what it means. That's what it means. William Barclay, um, who's now deceased, but back, I think he's a great theologian. Uh, he was a really big deal when my dad was preaching back in the 50s and 60s. He says it like this. He says, it means that no matter what a man may do to us by the way of insult or injury or humiliation, we will never... Never seek anything else but his higher good. That's what love is. He says, it describes the deliberate effort which we can only make with the help of God. It's not in our power. We have to abide to make this happen. And he says, never to seek anything but the best, even for those who seek the worst for us. That's what love is. To never seek anything but the best for those who seek the worst for us. Now, that'll change the world. Because when we are kind to others, it has a ripple effect. It does. Douglas Abrams says it like this. 
uh, the one that wrote the book of joy. He says, experiments with large numbers of people show, for reals, that if you are kind and compassionate, your friends, your friends' friends, and even your friends' friends' friends are more likely to become kind and compassionate. How about that? The ripple effect, it actually happens. Mother Teresa said something like this, not these exact words. Small things done with great love can change the world. She says we can't all do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. Because the kindness we show can spread from one person to the next, to the next, to our friends, to our friends, friends, to our friends, friends, friends. It'll change the world. If you're online at the moment, I hope you'll go and go ahead and click the QR code because I'm going to show you a video from Steve Hartman and show you what this looks like. Here he is. It means everything. That's what families do. That's what families of faith do. That's what our family of faith is for. So, our action steps for this week. Pretty simple. Pray for everything associated with Bible school. Every bit of it. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. That God would be here in a big way and our students and everyone associated would be blessed and know his love. And then to be ripple effects. Now you'll notice that Miss Silva did not say, I will bring her in if you renovate her home and then my kids will get a better place to stay. Right? That's not what she did. She did what the Spirit led her to do and Jesus is that good. That he did not leave that unredeemed. But make no mistake, her step in faith was first. And Jesus took care of all the rest of the ripple effect. So I want to invite you to invite the Holy Spirit to show you how you can make waves and trust God with the ripple effect. The results are his. Ours is obedience. So, along with the kids, we're going to close Bible school with this prayer. I invite you to pray it with me. Dear God, thank you for Jesus. When we have trouble being kind or loving or gentle or patient... Remind us that you are with us through your spirit and you can help us. Thanks for an awesome week learning how to follow Jesus and make waves. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.